Thank you so much, Alan, and, uh, and all of you guys for, for leading us in worship. I said at the first two services that one of the things I just love about our teams that come up and uh, sing is uh, that they, uh, they're leading us in worship. They're not, just, uh, they're not just putting on a show for us, but they're, they're leading us. And, and uh, I think it's one of the things I just loved about Alan is uh, that he, uh, he uh, ministers from his heart, and uh, it's genuine. And I just thank God for that. Um, please take your Bibles, would you, and turn to the book of Romans chapter 6. All of you know, or most of you know, Romans 3, uh, 3 uh, 6.23. Uh, we're going to start there in 6.23, and then we're going to cover the first six verses of chapter 7. If you're visiting with us for the first time, or you just didn't bring your Bible this morning, there should be one underneath the chair in front of you, unless you're sitting in the front row. <laughs> Sorry. Um, and um, uh, it's on page 943. And I think this text in particular is so great because, um, especially this weekend of 4th of July, speaking about the freedom that our country has, we are free in Jesus Christ. And the only shackles that we have are the ones that we put on ourselves. And um, chapter 6, verse 23, talks about that incredible gift that, uh, that God has given to us. So um, I hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we look at this text um, together. Romans chapter uh, 6. And I'll begin in verse 23 and then go right into 7. For the wages of sin is death. You know that one, don't you? But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, chapter 7, verse 1. Or, do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a woman married, uh, for a, a married woman is bound by the law to her husband, while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law. And if she marries another man, uh, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse five, for while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now, now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive so that we serve in a new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your marvelous grace. Thank you for um, this text, this wonderful text that speaks about the freedom that we have in Christ, that we're not bound by law, law of mosaic law or or, or any laws of our own making, but Lord, that, um, that we have freedom in you when we put our faith and trust in Christ. So I pray that we'll be blessed and encouraged this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I just, just say right off from the, uh, the, the get-go here, what an amazing four weeks, right, that we've had together um, as Pastor um, Brian has opened up uh, the scriptures to us and shared his vision, and uh, it is just, it's just terribly, terribly exciting. And I think one of the things that I've appreciated so much is, as, as I've been studying is that the things that he's been saying just kind of flow so sweetly into our text of the morning. Now, we're in the book of Romans, and we haven't been there for quite a while, so I kind of want to bring us all up to speed. 
In order to understand uh, what Romans is all about, we have to understand simply this, that the book is, uh, is about grace. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. But to fully appreciate grace, the grace that God extended to us, it's good, I think, for us to know what preceded grace. And that, of course, was the law. For in doing so, you can almost taste the love of Jesus and the sacrifice of his life for uh, us on the cross. Now, I can't think of anybody, maybe you can, but I can't, think of anybody who loved the law more that was handed down from God to Moses than Paul. Um, He said as much in Philippians chapter 3. And then you all remember that one day while he was heading toward a town called Damascus, I think it's in Acts uh, 8 or 9, I think it's 9, where he was going along and suddenly the risen Lord, as it were, appeared to him. And uh, and he was in, in grace instantly flooded his heart, and he quickly understood that though the law was good in and of itself, it was limited and ultimately replaced by grace, the grace that our Lord Jesus Christ provided for us when he died on the cross. Now, when Paul addresses uh, or uh, or reads, uh, I'm sorry, when uh, uh, Paul's readers saw the word law, they immediately understood what he was referring to, perhaps more than we do. Look at verse 1. For I am speaking to those who know the law. Now you may say, George, well, what law is that? Well, without going into a very long grammatical explanation, and believe me, it's extremely long. Uh, I've been studying for hours just this particular part. Let me just kind of bring it all down into a simple way of expressing it. We're talking about the Mosaic law, I think, is at the very core of his thinking which is, as I mentioned, a law that was handed down from God to Moses and then uh, to us. You see, it was through these laws, through these laws that God showed his people what he loves and what he hates and how to live. Now, this is not going to come as a a surprise to you, but, but man twisted God's law. He's quite good at that and created his own laws to govern himself so that he could control his own environment and in doing so, enslave those who were around him. Now, the essence of the law was actually good. It was just, it was holy, it was right. How do you know that, George? Romans chapter 7, verse 12, 14, and 20 tells you that, as well as a gazillion verses in, uh, from Genesis to Revelation and numerous Psalms. Jesus himself said, y'all remember, in Matthew chapter 5, Um, He said that uh, I have not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Now, when I think of the law, I think of three words in particular. The first word is admiration and then expiration and then application. Though the law was admirable, the fact of the matter is it had expired. It had used its usefulness um, and without question had no ability to bring one to faith. And uh, that came through grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, which, of course, is a centerpiece of our text. Now, since it's been a while, let me give you the view from 39,000 feet, all right? Hold on tight. No beverages will be served on this flight, all right? I would label, I would label chapter 1 to 319 condemned by choice. Paul makes it abundantly clear in chapters 1 and 2 that, that man was not ignorant of the truth But he set the truth aside, and he chose to do things on his own for self-gratification, self-aggrandizement. He chooses to ignore God, uh, that is, until circumstances dictate that maybe blaming God would suit his own purpose. 
we become quite adept to that. But God loves us so much that he would not let us go. So in spite of ourselves and our lack of interest in him, he pursues us by his grace, doesn't he? Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God, God shows his love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now the key, the pivotal verse in the first six chapters is in chapter 3, verse 20, and it should be up on the wall or screen. And here's what it says. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin, which is one of the purposes of the law. Now, Paul then says, now let me illustrate what justification is. And he uses a fellow's life. His name was Abraham. And that's in chapter 4. And this is what he says about Abraham. Verse 2. If Abraham was justified by works... He has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God. There it is. And it was counted to him as righteousness. Paul said as much in Galatians chapter 2, verse 16. Yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. And some of you may be saying, but George, that's good. But what does justification mean? Well, that's a great question. And uh, it can be complicated. Let me just give you a simple definition that's been good for me. It simply means that when I put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone, God declares that I am righteous to anyone. And frankly, God's opinion trumps everyone's. And so when God says it, that's good enough for me. And I belong a part of the family of God. So where are we? Chapters 1 to 319, condemned by choice. Chapter 4, justification by faith. Chapter 5, because I've been justified, I now have peace with God. And freedom, chapter 6, through dying to the law. Now when chapter 7, I love chapter 7, and that speaks of grace for discovering. When you come to chapter 7, you can almost hear Paul's heart aching for these folks that live there in Rome who are still somewhat connected to the law. You see, please don't miss this. You see, the secret, the secret to understanding this text is not in its complexity, but in its simplicity. Several um, weeks ago, I got a, uh, uh, an, an email from Chrissy, our, our daughter. She said, Dad, she says, I, I went to the dollar store today. And, um, and I said to, uh, I took Hannah and Anderson. They're our grandchildren. Hannah's six, Anderson's four, just turned four. And, uh, and I said to them, all right, now here's a dollar. I want you to take this dollar and I want you to go find a toy that we're going to take home and you can share. Okay? Hannah grabbed the dollar and went running down the aisle. Anderson in hot pursuit. And this is what they came back with. Something that looks very similar to this. It's a Nerf ball, a football. And uh, it's quite nice, and, uh, and, and Chrissy got them and said, here you go, Larry, can you catch this? Well, I still got it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I promised that to another kid, so hold on. All right, another kid, right, Scott? Um, so, uh, so they get home, and uh, Chrissy says, all right, here's the ball. Take your little Nerf ball, go out in the backyard, Play and share. You got it? 
Okay, mommy. Out they went. About 20 minutes went by, and there was not a sound from them. Now, moms in here know that is not a good sign. Sure enough, Chrissy looks out the door, and she sees the kids tearing the ball apart. I mean, there they are. They're tearing it. Chrissy went over to them and said, what are you doing? And Anderson said, we're doing what you said, Mommy. We're sharing. And Hannah said, yeah, I've ripped off the, the green part, and Anderson has taken the blue part. And this is what's left. You know, sometimes, don't you, sometimes the simplest instructions need just a little bit of explanation. So let me kind of give you a little explanation of this text by using just two simple questions. Number one, so what's so bad about being in the law? Well, there's a gazillion bad things, but let me just mention just a few. Now, remember that most, not all, but most of the people that Paul's talking to and sharing with um, are Jews and Gentile believers um, that still have the law fresh in their mind, and to a degree, the law plays a significant role in their lives. Now, the truth of verses uh, 1 to 6 um, are, are really, or the, or the answer, I should say, of verses 1 to 6 um, come because of the question that Paul brought up in chapter 6, verse 14. Take a look. For sin, he said, will have no dominion over you. Then he answers that in the remaining of chapter 6. But then he says, since you, have not been under, since you are not under law, but under grace. I can just see these folks sitting in their den and they're reading this letter. And one of the guys reads and he says, sin will have no dominion over you. That's good news, don't you think? Absolutely. Read on, would you? Sure, not a problem. Since you are no longer under sin, under law, but under grace. What? What did he say? I'll read at the end. We're no longer under law, but under grace. Well, he couldn't possibly have meant that. That's what he says. Listen to me. Paul understood the mindset of his readers. So Paul very gently and easily eases them into the cool waters of grace by first acknowledging that they know the law. You see, the fact of the matter is the knowledge of the law was not the issue. It was never the issue, but rather the effectiveness or inability of the law to justify or sanctify the heart of a man or woman. So, what are some of the things that are produced from being under the law? Well, first of all, the law gives you a false sense of security because no one could ever measure up to its demands. You see, the law was never intended as a means of justification, but rather a righteous guide to govern the daily activities of God's people. It's that simple. It taught you, uh, it taught you about, um, about how to do business. It taught you how to care for your family, how to take care of your home, how to uh, take care of your health. And it had several warnings about inappropriate behavior. But man, listen, but man, don't miss this, man took what God gave as a guide to daily living and mandated it as a manual for membership into the family of God and in doing so manipulated the law to serve his own purposes. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24 says, describes the law as a schoolmaster. I did a little study in the Greek because I'm, I just had to in preparation. So the etymology of this word schoolmaster that we read in the text here is a very severe word. It was a no-nonsense person. None at all. You see, there's no do-overs or second chances in the classroom of the law. 
I have a friend of mine who uh, is a policeman uh, for years over in Charlotte. And uh, he and I were talking one day, and I said to him, I said, I said, you must have a lot of stories. He said, oh, George, you wouldn't believe it. He goes, my favorite stories, though, are uh, come from people that I stopped and the excuses that they give me for breaking the law. I said, well, tell me one. He said, well, my favorite one happened in a little area of Charlotte, very quiet street, and it's a four-way stop. He says, I was stopped there in my unmarked car, and, and here comes this car going very, very slowly, driven by an elderly lady, drove right through the stop sign, sees me and stops, puts the car in reverse, stops again, and then proceeds through. I pulled her over. Officer, is there a problem? Uh, Yes, ma'am. You drove right through that stop sign the first time but not the second time. The second time I stopped. Haven't you ever heard of do-overs, officer? To which my friend said, ma'am, the law does not have do-overs. And she said, well, it ought to. How much different, how much different it is for us today who are living under grace. John said this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that You may not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Secondly, the law gave a false sense of freedom when in fact you were bound to its dictates and those who interpreted it for you. You see, the fact is man has been creating laws of his heart, I would call them, for years in an effort to find freedom, the freedom that he longs for. But freedom, don't miss this, freedom of your own making outside of Christ only results in self-imposed imprisonment. This past week, I got an email from Molly Graham. A lot of you know Molly. We prayed for her several weeks ago. Molly's a wonderful young lady, and she's giving leadership to the team that is there from Providence in Portland. Portland's like many cities across the United States and around, around the world where there are uh, so many desperate, desperate people who are trying to break out of their own self-imprisoned cells. Here's what she wrote. One day after our Providence uh, team arrived, one of our team members witnessed from a distance someone jumping off a bridge into the water and committing suicide. Our guy was able to call 911 and reported the incident, but the man was found to be dead when the rescuers arrived. This was such a real moment for our team, and it presented the stark reality that there's such an incredible need here in Portland for the gospel. These people need hope and purpose and a relationship with Jesus Christ. And of course, he wrote, we all do. Our team prayed by the waterfront for the people there, for the city and for the individuals that were considering that very method of escape. The suicide actually opened up many opportunities for conversations about the gospel. And we thank God for that, but... Our hearts grieved over the life that was lost. As I read Molly's uh, Molly's note, I I said to myself, how many people do you pass by every single day, maybe even living in your neighborhood, who are just like that? They're dead inside. Just like you, you pass them as well. They're dead inside. They just have not jumped into the waters of hopelessness. It was William Carey, a great missionary to India, who said that the gospel is only good news if it 
gets there in time. You see, what the law couldn't do, what the law was never designed to do, what the law uh, could, could, could never give, Jesus provided through his grace. Now back to the text. Paul then illustrates this in, um, in verse 2. It's a very simple illustration, by the way. Please don't read into it. It's just take it to face value. Verse 2 says, For a married woman is bound by the law to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. The essence of the illustration, I think, is obvious. Any law, whether Mosaic or Roman or, or state or, or country or, or your own individual laws, any law, any law at all is not binding as long as is only binding as long as the person is breathing. Yet, as simplistic as this illustration is, it's also a profound message, for it allowed Paul to now gently lead these folks into an understanding of the marvelous security and, uh, and freedom that comes to those who have died to the law but are now alive by God's grace. Well, let me give you the second uh, question, and, uh, and we'll be done. And that is this. So what's so great about being under grace? And there's a lot of things. Let me just give you a couple. First is freedom. Freedom to belong. That's verse 4. Take a look, would you please? Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. See, I died to the law so I can belong to another. Listen, this is so good. When you died to the law, he says, or any law you make up for yourself, you, you didn't become homeless, but rather... Rather, you were welcomed home. There was no freedom, no security, no belonging under the law. Now look at those next words here in verse 4. Would you please, for just a moment, you also have died to the law. Let me give you a better translation. The Greek is super intense here. This is how you would translate that almost literally in Greek. You were put to death, it says. You were put to death. Now watch. To the law, through the body of Christ. When did that happen, George? It happened the day you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 6, verse 3. Check it out on your own. You see, the relationship, the bond, the contract with the law was broken forever. And at last, you're free. Free to belong to another. Free to belong to Jesus. Setting aside your own laws and your own dictates and accepting his free gift. I do not wonder about, but I now belong. I have a home. I belong to Jesus Christ. Which is why Paul was shocked and rather ticked off. Can I say that? Um, with his friends there in Colossae. Uh, let me just paraphrase Galatians chapter 1 and 2. He says, I, I just cannot believe that you want to go back under the law. After having been under grace that was so freely given by Jesus. Are, are you crazy? I mean, what in the world is going on with you people? Have you forgotten that the law was never intended to save you? But salvation comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Of course, Jesus, uh, Paul is going to uh, uh, talk to another group of folks. Uh, some years later, they, were, um, they lived in Ephesus. And in chapter 2, verse 8, it says, For by grace, here's that word again, For by grace are you saved, rescued, rescued from my sin. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, what's not of yourself, George? Your faith, your salvation, whatever. It's not of yourself, lest anybody can say, I did that. Yeah, I did that. You see, you cannot buy salvation. You can't 
pay for that. You know why you can't pay for it? Because Jesus already paid for it with his blood. It's not deserved. It can't be earned. It's a gift. So my question to you, and I don't know who I'm speaking to. Most of you, I'm sure, go to Providence, have been for a long time. Maybe not all of you. My question to you is, did you pick up your gift? Do you have that free gift? And And believe me, you don't have to wait to the end of the service for a little special song to be sung or anything like that. You can be looking at me, and you can, and you can just say, uh, you can just call out to God. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, will be rescued, will be forgiven. And that can be you. That can be you right now. I've been saying for years and years that, uh, that uh, we might die today. It's not probable, but it's possible. Do you have that peace? Do you have that gift? Have you received it? It's free. Well, the second thing that Paul says is that we're free to produce that which is good. Take a look at verse 4 and 5, would you? And you'll see what I mean. But let's start in verse 5 and then kind of back up. For while we were living in the flesh, your sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in your members to bear fruit for death. In other words, Paul says that before coming to faith and while you were under the law, the fruit of your life was spoiled. Spoiled rotten, my mom used to say. But even more than that, the law pushed the boundaries of your imagination to sin far, uh, more than less. That you wandered farther, not were drawn closer to Christ. It's what the law does. You see, frankly, things haven't really changed that much. We see a speed, uh, uh, the, the speed limit is 55. What do we go? 60. Maybe a little bit more. Because we've been told that we're not going to get picked up, Right? unless we're going eight miles over the speed limit? Are we breaking the law? Yeah. But we rationalize it. My favorite one is, well, I'm keeping up with traffic. I mean, I don't want to cause a problem. So I'm going, I'm going 80, 85 miles an hour. I'm breaking the law. When I was in fourth grade, I don't know if I ever told you this, I went to school, street school. Isn't that a fancy name? School, street school. It was located on school street. Creativity was not a real value in that little town I grew up in. <laughs> I remember at recess, the bad kids would make a beeline for the fence where they'd have a little smoke and do whatever. Where the good kids, me, we would be in the middle of the playground doing whatever. Listen, our natural bent is not to live in the middle of the playground of our lives, but rather to try to get away with as much as we possibly can and yet still look spiritual. But when Jesus invades our lives, all of that can change. It's in the process of changing. Before Jesus, I was helpless, but now, now, now I can have that fruit of his sweet life in my life evidenced at work. Now look at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also, we've already read this. I'm going to hurry through this part. We've already died to the law through the body of Christ that we may now belong to another, to him who has raised, uh, has been raised from the dead. Now look at those last few words of verse 4. In order that we may bear fruit for God. Now listen, this is great. Now that I belong, died with him and have been risen, raised with him, I can now look like him. Paul told us, told his friends there in Colossae how I ought to dress. I love that. He doesn't tell, he says, dress yourself. 
I love those words. Dress yourself. It's Colossians chapter 3. But then what's so, you know what's so great about this? After telling us to dress ourselves, he then says, now I'm going to fill your wardrobe. Here's what I want, want, want you to hear. You can choose any one of these things. Gentleness, uh, kindness, um, uh, um, uh, hopefulness, uh, uh, forgiving, be patient, meekness. Um, he also told the folks there in Ephesus and Philippi something very similar. But you remember over in Galatians, he used a different analogy. In Galatians, he called it the fruit of the Spirit. And uh, he talked about all different kinds of fruit. And it's not that you just kind of pick one that you like and say, well, I love to be joyful. Uh, where, but I'm not into long-suffering. No, he says you've got to eat everything on your plate. You need to digest it all. And you need to wear everything. We can wear everything. You see, the beauty of not being under the law but under grace is that we have freedom at last to look like Jesus since we've been adopted into his family. And now, now at last, I have freedom, the text says, to explore. I love that. To explore the riches of his grace and, and let him take me to places of service for him I could never, ever have imagined before. And that, my friend, what I just said, is the essence of verse 6. Take a look, would you? And now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, whether of our own making or not, so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit and not the old way of the written code. Now, our natural tendency is to erect uh, uh, ourselves boundaries, to walk on familiar paths that take us into uh, familiar territory and and uh, in places. Now, I suppose that, that there's some sense of security in living in a very restricted area of my life and not really venturing out. But, but when, just think about this, but when we think of all that Christ has waiting for us just around the corner of our lives, why in the world would we want to fence ourselves in? Why would we want to keep going down the same path day in and day out? Same routine. Let me ask you something else. When, when you can make a difference, why would you want to live indifferently toward all the things that he has for you? Nancy and I, a few years ago, went to um, the Grand Canyon. Uh, we had never been there before, and like you, we had seen everybody's pictures because everybody brings pictures and they make you watch, look at them. And uh, frankly, I was not that impressed uh, with, with them. But I'll tell you, when we got there, and our place was like from here to the back wall there, away from the, the canyon, like the edge, and there's no guardrails or anything, I was blown away. I, was, I couldn't believe this. I said, Nancy, look at that. It is like that is one really, really big hole. And, uh, and she said, uh, she said, honey, it's amazing. You know what I didn't want? I did not want to, uh, to go on a guided tour. I didn't want anybody taking me to the same little spots and seeing the summit, st- telling me, you know, some canned thing. I wanted to explore for myself. Well, the next morning I got up really, really early and, uh, it was raining. Oh, I was so disappointed because we only had one day there and it's raining, it's drizzling out. And I told Nancy, I said, honey, I said, I'm going to go get a cup of coffee. So I went, I'll be back in just a minute. She says, all right. So I went to get a cup of coffee, and as I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, these people go walking by. There are about six or eight of them. 
And they've got the hats on and the gloves and these sticks. And they're walking along like this. And so I follow them. So I wonder where they're going. And so I'm walking behind them. And uh, it was so great. I, uh, if we come to the, to the path, to the beginning of this trail that goes down, uh, they tell me, I didn't know this, they told me it goes down to the, to the bottom, to the floor of the Grand Canyon. I said, wow, really? That is so cool. How long does it take? He goes, oh, it could take three, four hours or maybe even more. I said, oh, I love that. They took off. Now what am I going to do? I go back and try to get Nancy. I try to explain to her that there's this path about 24 inches wide in some places with this ginormous slab of rock, many of them hanging over you, and then a 500-foot drop with no guardrail. guardrail. And honey, it's really not that dangerous. It's really not. Or do I walk on? So I walked on. But, oh, oh, come on, give me a, I'm not done. Only for about five or six minutes, and then I started seeing all this, and I was just, I I just cannot tell you. I was so overwhelmed. I said, I do not want to share, I do not want to have this experience by myself. I want to share it with with the person I love more than anyone else in the entire world. Oh, now you can say that, okay? So, (laughs) so I went back, I said, honey, we got to go. Please, just come. She goes, all right. So we went, we come to the path, and, uh, and, um, and we started down. And we're walking, we're, we, we're walking about five or six minutes. I want to tell you, she loved it. Okay, maybe love is too strong a word. She was fond of it, all right? Actually, I have a picture of it, just to show you. Just... <laughs> she is communing there. It looks like she's not going where, but frankly... Okay, you can take, first of all, I, she, she said I can do that. And you can take that off because I don't know how much grace I'm going to get. <laughs> we walked for about an hour, seriously. And I said, I said, honey, we really need to turn around. And we're taking pictures and we're back a little further. No, not that far. And we're taking pictures and all the rest. It was wonderful. Every turn in the, along the path, we were seeing another beautiful display of God's incredible creative work. We didn't want to go back. I said, honey, we got to go back. It's been an hour. We got to go uphill now along this path. And you, what, what if my back goes out? You're not going to want to carry me. And, uh, and, and, and she said, well, all right. Just then, seriously, just around the corner of this path, there's a lady and her two little kids coming up. And so she comes up to us. And I said to her, I said, I said so how was it? down there. She goes, you wouldn't believe what's around the corner. I said, really? I said, honey, what do you think? Got it. She, she goes, I'm not the one that wants to go back. Let's go. So we go down and we turn the corner and this is what, 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 we, what we saw. It was absolutely amazing. The picture, trust me, does not serve it, do it justice. We were so amazed, but we had seen so much, but God has something else just around the corner for us. And if we hadn't taken those few extra steps, we would have missed it. You see, my concern is that you and I will stop exploring or will replace exploring what God has for us by making excuses as to why we can't go, why we can't serve. Listen, I know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm talking about. Two years ago, I didn't want to go to Lynch, Kentucky. I had people encourage me to go, not from here. You had never heard of Lynch, Kentucky. 
But I had somebody encourage me to go. Finally, I said, all right, I'll go. And as soon as I arrived, I was only there for three hours. Three hours, my heart, I just fell in love with the people there and the ministry there. And then, then remember, I came back and, and, and we, we took a group about 10 or 15 last December to Kentucky, to Lynch. And then oh, just a couple months ago, about 30 or 40 of you all went with Pastor uh, Brian, and you left me behind, but I'm glad you went. And that was an awesome thing. You see, the fact of the matter is, from what Pastor was saying, Brian, last week, I was so energized to hear about missions in his heart, and I was then re-energized. And I want to just tell you honestly, I think some of us, some of us need to go overseas. You've gone to Lynch, you've done um, a city serve, um, Portland and, uh, and Toronto and other places. And that's awesome. But what if God has something else for you in Kenya, in Serbia, in Romania? Hey, how about Peru? We're going to Peru this coming December. Would you go? What a, you know, can I make another suggestion? Those of you who have been to Romania and Serbia and Kenya and everything else, and, and, you're, and you, 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 you've done that really, really well, you know, maybe you would ought to stay home. Maybe you should go with me to Lynch. I'm going to both. Why don't you? Instead of saying, well, I can't, well, I'm limited, you know, and listen, 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 I'm done. The only limitation, the only limitations you have are the limitations you put on yourself. Now, I understand that we have limitations. I cannot do what I used to do. I admit that. I used to carry, pick up two uh, five-gallon buckets filled with concrete, one in each hand. Now, they give me the Dixie cups. Oh, pastor, we don't want you to hurt your back. Here, let me take that. I understand I have limitations, but you know what? I can still go. I can be a caregiver. We've got a meeting coming up next Sunday and the following Sunday to let you know about Peru and, 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 and Lynch. I need 20 people to go with me to Peru. There are over 500 kids with their parents waiting for us. I need doctors, internists, OBGYN, uh, uh, pediatricians, dentists. I need them to go. I need you to go to Lynch, Kentucky with me as well to serve in the schools. We have an opportunity to share in the schools there. Don't limit yourself. So now what? Well, let me suggest this. Lock, lock, lock into a fruit of your choice. Of your choice, fruit of the Spirit, garment of His grace, that, you're, that you don't do very, very well. Maybe, maybe patience. You know better than I do. Lock into one of those, say, one of those. And then for the next 30 days, ask people that are around you, so how do you think I'm doing? Do I seem a little bit more patient, a little bit more self-controlled? Secondly, lock into a field of service, perhaps one that you, you, you have been thinking about, but you just have not engaged in. And then lastly, and most important, lock into prayer. Because you see, you see, without prayer, we're never going to look the way we want to look. And we're never going to go to a place that seems a little bit iffy for us. My suggestion to you is a suggestion I'm, I, I take very, very seriously for myself. When I'm praying, I try to do more listening than speaking. I would suggest you may want to consider doing the same. 
Thank you for listening. And I hope this has been helpful. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful. So very, very grateful for all that you've done for us. We don't deserve your grace, but we are incredibly thankful for it. And I pray, Father, that that you will take this simple little talk this morning from this amazing text. And Lord Jesus, that you will speak to each one of us, every one of us, Lord, at a different place in their lives. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will do only what he can. I certainly cannot. I've proved that over the past two hours. But Lord, I know that you, by your Holy Spirit, can take these words and impress them in our heart and place them in just the right spot to allow us to be able to move one step forward if we take the time to come to you and listen. So Father, please do that, we pray. And may our lives be changed eternally. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.